welcome to Keep the Bastards Honest, the podcast of the Australian Democrats. I'm your host, Alana Mitchell, and on this episode, we react to the fall of the Perite Coalition Government in New South Wales. This episode technically shouldn't exist. As I mentioned on the bonus episode on superannuation, my co-host Steve Beatty has been overseas and we figured we'd get together, do a quick run through of all the big issues that happened while he was away, bit of an everything, everywhere, all at once, state of the country to catch ourselves up, and then we would do deeper dives into specific topics later on. We agreed very firmly that we would not talk about the New South Wales state election until the count was completed and we had a clear understanding of the shape of the lower and the upper houses in New South Wales. Regular listeners will not be surprised to hear that we then went ahead and talked about the state election for a good half an hour anyway, because we just can't help ourselves. A bit of a caveat, this was recorded on the Monday after the election, so things were still very fluid and the results were very far from finalised. We will have a follow-up podcast to cover the election in detail shortly, now that the count is almost complete and we have a much better understanding of where things ended up, as well as the second half of this podcast where we discuss the passage of the safeguard mechanism. Steve and I pay our respects to the traditional owners of the lands upon which we recorded this episode and their elders past and present. Sovereignty never ceded. So, Steve, it's been a while. You've been overseas. And I have. while you were gone, what's happened? Yes. I, I, um, I don't take all the credit for that, and I won't accept responsibility for all of it, but it is coincidental that while I was gone, shit happened. Yes, indeed. So this is why we've been a little bit behind the eight ball and so sort of getting content out because um, it's been hard to keep up. We are going to have a Labor government in New South Wales, first time in 12 years. It means that all mainland state governments and the federal government are Labor. The only non-Labor government is in Tasmania, which is Liberal. There are no nationals in any government anywhere in the country. And of course, in the ACT, you have a coalition of Labor and the Greens in that parliament. But a pretty significant shift that that's taken place in New South Wales. But as you say, we will get into it in more mm. detail once the final results are in. And that's a very good point. So we haven't had sort of wall-to-wall mainland Labor governments since 2007. It's been a while. There you go. Welcome, welcome to the Labor fold at last, New South Wales. The coalition government in New South Wales came to power in 2011 on a promise of improved integrity after a number of corruption scandals with the, the former uh, Labor Party government in New South Wales. And it was six months into the new government before the first resignation on corruption. We've had two of the premiers in that period resigned over corruption issues, um, Deputy Premier, uh, a, a bunch of others along the way. There was a, a nice issue of the 7am podcast the other day, which attempted, I think it was Thursday or Friday before the election, which attempted to run through the various uh, controversies. Matt Keane on Saturday night described them as barnacles. You pick up <laughs> barnacles along the way in politics. And I thought it's a, an interesting way to um, refer to scandals and corruption treasurer, but it, uh, it took quite a while. They spent sort of 25 minutes and still didn't get through all of them. 
but that was our integrity government. Let's face it, though, New South Wales has had a history of corruption since the first boat showed up. You guys are kind of the Chicago of Australia, aren't you? Yeah. It was funny because I know, I know that you tweeted, you were very nervous in the lead up to the New South Wales election that you weren't yeah. sure if um, nobody seemed confident that they would actually get a majority. But it was really interesting because I, I know that the, the news poll for New South Wales was published on the Friday night and it was something like 54.5 to 45.5 if memory yeah. serves. And That's when right. I saw that, I just went, yeah, they're about, yeah. oh, no, they're fine. Yeah. And it was weird because in the past I have not trusted news poll at all. But no. swings of like a, a, a gap of that size, I just looked at it and went, yeah, now there's going to be a swing on. Um, and it's funny, I was so comfortable about the whole thing that it wasn't until I think about five or six o'clock my time or possibly even earlier than that, that it occurred to me to check the results. <laughs> I think I tuned in just in time for Anthony Green, Anthony Green to to call it and oh, for okay. it to be a not quite a bloodbath. I mean, I think I think everyone's expectation of bloodbath has changed dramatically it's since changed the WA since election. WA, yeah, indeed. <laughs> I mean, because I remember in the lead up, you know, the uh, the fine people at the Sydney Morning Herald and others were mm. running the whole. Oh, they need to get at least nine seats to take power. That's just impossible. Yeah, it, I can't know. see where they do that. Yeah, no, no, cannot cannot see the seats that will fall to them for that to happen. And it looks like it will. So I think a few journalists are telling on themselves there. Like looking looking at the results, there's some really close ones. So one of the ones that I've been watching in particular is uh, the seat of Miranda in New South Wales. The reason for that is that the Labor candidate is Simon Earle, who stood in the seat of Cook against Scott Morrison in the federal election. Um, oh. He's a local, you know, you'll find him out there surfing. He's, he's well known in the area, um, but he's been very active pushing for his seat. And so he's, he stood for Labor as a candidate in Miranda. It was a reasonably strong Liberal seat. He currently has a 14.3% swing towards him in the vote. He's down by 71 votes. That's it. He's down by 71 votes. Only a little Gee. over half the vote has been can- counted, 54%. Wow. He's down by 71 votes only. What's even more interesting, potentially, when you look over in Pittwater, so Pittwater mm-hmm. is one of two electorates that form part of the federal electorate of McKellar. So McKellar uh, elected the independent Sophie Scomps, a local doctor. She represents McKellar. McKellar is broken up into two electorates broadly at a state level, Wakehurst and Pittwater. Um, oh. Wakehurst has gone to an independent guy by the name of Michael Regan and Pittwater with 71% counted, 377 votes. The independent is behind Jackie Scrooby. Wow. And again, that's a 22% swing away from the Liberal Party. 21.8%, I should say, away from the Liberal wow. Party. Now, that's, again, like these are really interesting results and we will get into them when the like when we actually talk about it and this stuff's finished. But just a, just a couple of results to look at and go, that's fascinating. And just to see what's happening with some of these. Because one thing that has surprised me, like going through these preliminary results and particularly looking at the seats that are essentially decided, even though only 50 or 70% of the count's done, is the massive swings. Yeah, they're big. Yeah, Massive. 
Yeah. Some of them are you know, really quite really quite big. And I think between well, I mean, WA is an outlier. Sure. South Australia, Victoria, New South Wales, federally, and, and even Queensland. I mean, that was a Labor government retaining government. The swings against the, the Liberals, sorry, the coalition, the, the non-Labor parties, even in, in places like Victoria and Queensland where a Labor government was was fighting to retain government, the swings against the oppositions in those states has been massive and fascinating. Yeah. I mean, I think it's really going to get to the stage where we are going to have to like re-baseline what counts as a marginal seat because 20% isn't safe anymore. No. And look, I, I mentioned Wakehurst a minute ago. So Michael Regan, who's the independent there, was winning on the primary vote. He actually uh, attracted more primary votes than the Liberal Party. This was the seat of the health minister, Brad Hazard, um, oh. So he had announced that he was retiring. Toby Williams is the new Liberal candidate, so he's a, a new candidate for the electorate. But the swing against the Liberal Party was 23.3%. Oh, it was a massive swing a- against them. And it looks like it looks like Michael Regan will take that seat, though certainly on the basis of where it is at the moment, he will end up with 55% of the two-party preferred vote. Good lord, and, and win that. He was the local mayor, so and, right. and that's been interesting. One of the things that we've seen in a few places in Sydney, and sorry, in in New South Wales in this election, is the the local mayor running in like for that electorate. One of one place where that's been uh, really interesting is in my local electorate. So I'm in the local electorate of Dremoyne, and both candidates are former mayors of the area so one one was deputy mayor until recently the other one is is mayor and the other one who was deputy mayor was mayor before kind of thing so you've got uh, both women both uh, from what i understand sort of in their late 30s early 40s maybe but very well established in local politics running it's been close but it looks like that will stay with the liberal party i I can't wait to get into it in detail although just spent 20 minutes not getting into the detail of it so there you go <laughs> I, know, um, I know we're terrible but yes. one thing i i i yes. i am fascinated by with new south wales is the fact that new south wales is the only jurisdiction in the country where you have optional preferential voting. yes to have an independent winning on primary you know in yes. wakehurst yeah and the kind of swings that you're getting against the libs these huge swings on optional preferential yeah it's wild. Like, I mean, for yeah. any of the independents to get up without the benefit of yeah. guaranteed yeah. preferences yeah. is amazing. One of the independents, let me just sort of bring it up. One of the independent candidates in the seat of Manly, Jolene Hackman, who, who looks like losing, and she was indicating that she's very disappointed, tried very hard, yeah. um, you know, wanted to be able to represent her local electorate, this kind of thing. She attracted 28% of the primary vote. As a first-time independent candidate, it's a swing of nearly 10% away from the Liberal Party. She's up against an established person. He's the Minister for Heritage and the Environment. So, you know, like a high-profile Liberal Party member even. In an area of Sydney that should be a pretty safe Liberal seat, it was a a 13% margin. And previously, a lot of those votes went to the Greens as the second preference, right? 28.1% of the primary vote on a two-party preferred 
basis, it's 55-45. So really, really, like a really, really good effort. Wow. And 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 she was saying like she's really disappointed that she's like she, she hasn't gotten up and, and, you know, thanks to the volunteers and everyone, like a, a, as you do. But I don't think you can underestimate the importance of taking a safe seat with a double-digit margin um, that's been held by a party for ages that they would have considered safe. Mm-hmm. You know, like as you say, a, a margin of 20% may no longer be considered safe when mm-hmm. you've got these really well-connected, vibrant, community-minded independents stepping up and saying, we're tired of you not representing us but representing your party and yourself. We're going to pick someone who represents us like we've seen in Kuyong, like we've seen in Goldstein, like we've seen in McKellar, like we've seen in Wentworth, like we saw in Indi, and that model coming forward, I think the, the major parties and those really established candidates absolutely need to take a good hard look at themselves. As we talked about with Tim Dunyop on a previous episode, Yeah, they really need to start thinking about how they engage with their electorate and doing things differently. Oh, yeah. And look, as we talked about in the aftermath of the Victorian state election, these are all independents. And and I don't think many of them were backed by Climate 200. But this is a wave of independents coming through for the first time. I don't know why I did it to myself, but I listened to the Sitting Morning Herald and the Age podcast please explain this morning. Yeah, the Sitting Morning Herald's editor, Bevan Shields, chose to host and discuss the uh, the New South Wales election, and I should have switched off at that stage. But they were sort of going, oh, well, because, you know, because the New South Wales branch of the Liberals were considered to be more progressive on 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 climate with Matt Keane and that sort of thing, that, that sort of, you know, stemmed the tide a little bit of these teal independents coming through, as they, they keep insisting on calling them. And I just thought, hmm. But you still see, like, like, first of all, you're seeing swings of t- more than 20% against the Libs, in some cases toward an independent, in an, a jurisdiction with optional preferential voting, and a lot of these t- independents are standing for the very first time. Yeah. I call bullshit. It's the Warringah effect, you know. You have a strong independent break the margin down to set it up for the, 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 the following one, election cycle. And that's what's happening in New South Wales. And, again, people overlooked, like, because the federal result was so incredible, people overlooked all the groundwork that people like Kathy McGowan, Helen Haynes, yep. James Matheson, Karen Phelps did yep. in the lead-up to the 2022 election where all of these independents broke through. Like, it's it's not some sort of bizarre, uh, well, not bizarre, but it's not some miracle where all those electorates collectively lost their minds and suddenly voted for an independent for no reason. That's right. A lot of groundwork had been done yeah. and, over and two or three cycles to get That's there. right. And, and nor did they sit down, like to, to that last point, nor did they sit down at Christmas at 2021, 22 and go, what, what, what do you reckon? Yeah. Like, should we, exactly. should we do something? It's, it's years in the making. And like, it, even so, like if you come back to the federal election, there were uh, a, a number of candidates who were successful. Cheney and in, in Curtin in, in WA and Zoe Daniel and uh, Monique Ryan. There's there's a few that got through. There were a few that came really close. Yes. And and weren't successful. I think of Susan Holt and Groom as an example. Yes. I reckon she will win next time. And if not her, then another community independent in Groom. 
because of the amount of work that was done there and continues to be done just to advocate for local issues on behalf of that community when their local member just doesn't seem to be there for them at all a lot of the time. They're just a, a, a seat warmer effectively in Parliament. So, yeah. you know, I, 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 think, I think you will see more of them next time rather than less. I think you'll see less Liberals and Nationals in the Parliament next time rather than more. I think we'll start to potentially see some Labor politicians looking over their shoulder at what's coming at them from a community independent, especially some of those ones who just seem to be making up the numbers. So, yes, yeah, and and particularly if, if Labor keep going down, yeah, you know, the path that they're going down on action on, on like you know, like I said, like the one yes. thing they've got a mandate on, which is actually yes. climate change. Yes, and that's and, before we get into get into the, uh, the 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 pissing up the wall of of um, uh, political capital on stuff like AUKUS, which will be a podcast for another time. And, and failing to act on things like the welfare system mm. like and, and the level yeah. of benefits for people on disability, for people on jobs, new start or job, job seeker allowance, you know, like those sorts yeah. of things where we've got people intentionally being forced to live in, in destitution on these sort of sub-poverty benefit levels whilst, whilst we hand ring over, you know, we can't do everything. Like but, but somehow we can we can spend three hundred fifty billion dollars on submarines that we'll get in forty years' time. Yeah, on the statutory tax cuts next year. You know, like that yeah. that kind of thing will get tired for people if we hit the next federal election in twenty twenty five and that sort of stuff hasn't been addressed. That we haven't reset those those level of the benefits so that those people aren't living in poverty. If we haven't, if we've gone ahead with the statutory tax cuts, which still feels like mm. you know someone's. Going to pull across, pull aside the curtain and go, ha fooled you in yeah. any moment now. But like, if if they do go ahead with those things, we've we've basically missed our window as an example. We've missed our window to put forward a, a windfall profits tax on gas mm. and and coal companies. That's that's gone. That was that's this financial year. If we if we won't do it now, then we miss that opportunity. Prices are going back down again. There won't be the windfalls. Yeah. We'll put a windfall profit tax in place just as there's no profit anymore. You know, like yep. we've we've missed that opportunity. Um, those aren't those aren't the sort of thing that will cement your place. In Parliament, those are the sorts of things that will call you into question, and I really wouldn't be surprised if Labor finds themselves under a bit of pressure, and including from Simon Holmes Court and Climate Two Hundred. I'm sure he's sitting there tonight, going, "I am deeply disappointed, and and we need to start putting pressure on them ahead of the next election." Yeah, and as confident as I can be, to you know, two three years out from uh, two years out from a uh, from an election. That labour will be returned in 2025, but I think that it's quite likely they'll be returned in minority, and the coalition will will still form opposition. But yeah, I think I think there'll be a big shift in in mm. in well, let's call it the balance of power. I mean, we've seen over the last decade the fracturing of our of our political system in some ways. The media hasn't caught up to it, as as, as Tim Dunlop told, said to us. You know, they're still doing the two horse race thing. Yep. But it's quite possible that in the twenty twenty what it will be twenty twenty eight election. Oh yeah. You might have a a different coalition emerge. Like Labor may not be able to govern in minority with 
security of supply. Could we from get a three-way stalemate with a, a, green, a, a green-backed independent crossbench yeah. versus Labor versus a coalition with a third each? Yeah. Could we end up? Yes, exactly. Could we end up with something like that? So a, a, a yeah. bunch of climate, a climate-minded independents siding with the Greens on the crossbench as a block coalition no, with yeah. Labor with you know like yeah 30, 30, 30 kind of thing. Is yeah. that what we're yeah? That what that, we're that's what I'm guess. Thank you for summarising wow. that because that's what I had it in my head and I couldn't quite articulate it. But, yes, exactly. Like I, I was thinking of sort of European parliaments mm. where it's perfectly normal to have that's a right. coalition of four or five minor parties yeah. forming government. I, yeah. reckon, I reckon that's the path we're going down. And that's before we get into the, the absolute zoo that the Senate will turn into as well. Labor does not have time to sit on its laurels. and yeah. I had to tell you, you know, Malcolm Roberts is in the Senate alongside Pauline Hanson. The federal Senate is already a zoo. You're quite right. Yeah. Yeah. And um, and what's that guy from the UAP? Babbitt. 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 Thank you. Babbitt. Yeah. Well, yeah. So I, I I agree that the fracturing of the Senate is likely, and uh, I I think it will be interesting to see what happens at the next two federal elections, especially. I I, I have to say I I. Completely pessimistic about Peter Dutton's chances of winning an election. Peter Dutton's best chance of winning an election is to not be in charge, I think. Um, I just cannot see, I just can't see him leading the Liberal Party to an election victory. I just don't see it. I mean, look, history is against him. Never never mind our, our sort of personal disdain for him. No opposition leader who, who took over in the aftermath of election loss has then gone on to win government from that position. So, yeah, the chances aren't good. I strongly suspect that's why Matt Keane has ruled himself out. I agree. He'll wait. <laughs> yeah, he'll, he'll wait. He'll, he'll bide he'll his wait. time. Yeah, yeah. He'll, yeah. he'll wait. I'll, yeah. I'll let somebody else do that heavy lifting for a little while. I don't want exactly. to be that. I don't want to be that guy. But also, I think um, the the Coalition New South Wales needs to have. It, they need to go through their traditional bloodletting and factional night of the long knives and get it all out of their system. Yeah. Before they decide to put an adult back in charge and actually start preparing to. Which one? <laughs> Apart from Matt Keane, who Juicy. you know. Uh, yeah. which, which which one? And, and like, I, and I was thinking federally as well. Like, you take yeah, yeah. that out of the mix, and who would you put in his place? Angus Taylor. Oh, oh my god, Susan Lee. Susan Lee. Yeah. Well, well, personally, if I was in charge, and thankfully I'm not, because I'm a Democrat and I'm not a Liberal. Sure. I would put Bridget Archer in charge. Bridget Archer is, you know, but, like one bad phone call away from the crossbench. Yes. Yes. And and look, I've I kind of kind look, Bridget, if you're listening. Give us a call. Yeah. If you're looking for a new political home, come come have a chat. Because come have a chat. Yes. I, I do think, like, she is truly of the small L, moderate liberal endangered species. And yep. let's face it, I mean, our our party was founded by the very same type of liberal getting jack yeah. of, of it and yeah. quitting. Yep. Yeah. And, you know, Don Chip was a minister. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a good argument that most of the teal independents would would feel right at home as well, you know, with an ability to vote as their community needs. Yeah. Contribute to a discussion around a policy issue to help expand everyone's understanding of what it means and the impact that it might have on different communities around the country. 
um, and at the end of the day, vote in a way that's consistent with what your community needs. Like that's the way the Democrats operated. Exactly. It's it's not dissimilar to the way they're actually behaving at the moment as a group. But yes, I, I think Bridget is not long for the Liberal Party. Um, no, you know, I like I, I I don't see it. But look, a, a couple more elections on trend with the way these last ones have gone for the Liberal Party and the National Party will be the senior coalition member. You know, like they'll have more seats than the Liberal Party will. They they seem to be better able to protect their wins, even though they, they lose just as many votes. They've, they're concentrated in terms of where they get their votes that they, they win those yes. seats anyway. Um, yes. You know, like the coalition <clears> might be not being the, the National Liberal Party. Like in WA. Yeah, yeah. And, and just to remind everybody, like the, the Liberals and Nationals in WA are not in coalition, which is why the Nationals are officially the opposition party and the Liberals are this Because there's this four sort of, of them like, and there's only two Liberal Party members, you know, like. That's right. Never gets old. <sighs> it, is, so. it, is, it is a little funny. It is a little funny. But, uh, yeah, and I, and I do wonder, you know, I mean, I, I just, you know, just called WA an aberration not long ago, but I do wonder if WA actually might be the the you know canary in the coal mine for the um, the coalition partners. The, the Liberal Party vote is collapsing nationally. I think that's yeah. the sort of clear message over the last three or four years electorally right across the the country. Nothing seems to help them. You look at the argument that COVID was a protection and that gave a huge advantage to the incumbent, that people wouldn't vote them out in the midst of a pandemic, and then Peter Melanaskis wins in South Australia. Right right against that trend, well and truly on trend in terms of WA, Queensland, and, and now New South Wales and Victoria. Yeah, I, I see them especially if they continue to take their lead from the Sky After Dark crew who keep telling them to shift further and further to the right. And we weren't going to talk about Nazis on this episode, but that's sort of that's that's where they're suggesting that they go. The analysis on Saturday night and, and yesterday about the New South Wales election was that, of course, they lost because the Liberal Party was trying to outgreen the Greens in New South Wales. Now, the absurdity of that statement is is huge. Rowan Dean doesn't seem to understand how elections work. He was sitting there on Saturday night going, the Liberal Party weren't giving the people of New South Wales what they wanted. What they wanted was, was something else. And so they voted for Labor, even though that's not what they want. He was halfway there. He was, he was that, halfway there, yes. You know, the like Liberal the Liberal Party, Party was not... giving them what they want, sure. No, sure. <laughs> but what he, what he, yeah, what he, the pretzel he was contorting himself into to try and suggest that you know the the good people in New South Wales voted for the for for Labor, the Greens, and Independents because they wanted something totally different from what those guys are offering as a stretch. But oh goodness, daylight saving sadly still has not finished for you, so it is getting close to pumpkin time, and uh, we should probably let you go. It's been a pleasure once again. Thank you so much. It was it was delightful, and uh, it's great to have you back in the country. Thanks very much. (laughs) 
Listening back to this during the editing process, I was really struck by how so much of our commentary about the federal level of politics seemed quite prescient in the aftermath of the Aston by-election and how many of those talking points have ended up in the media in the last few days. We'll be chatting with our Victorian lead Senate candidate and Victorian communications officer, Leonie Green, about the Aston by-election. And as I said at the top of the episode, we'll have a deep dive into the New South Wales state results now that they're almost finalised. Stay tuned for the second half of this episode, where we discuss the passage of the safeguard mechanism. Keep the Bastards Honest is brought to you by the Australian Democrats. This episode was edited and produced by me, Alana Mitchell. If you'd like to keep in touch, you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube and LinkedIn by searching for Australian Democrats and you can see what we stand for, what we value and what our policy positions are at our website at democrats.org.au. Until next time, thanks for listening. Listening.